<clears throat> so as we begin today, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. <clears throat> I'm going to read a few verses from there <clears throat> to start with. Man, I don't think there's any air on in here at all this morning. It's <laughs> getting, getting sweaty up here. Um, as we've been, have we been studying the, in the letter to the churches in Galatia? Of course, they were troubled by some things, right? And we've mentioned it over and over. I want to read, though, and go, go back and read where this was all, what, about what was going on there. And, and turn to Acts chapter 15. And I know many of you have been in this class from the beginning, but some have not. And I want to go back and read and, and kind of get a background here of what was going on. Acts 15 <coughs> and verse 1. <coughs> it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so here we have Paul and Barnabas converting Gentiles, right? Preaching to the Gentiles. And they have Jewish Christians coming down and saying, You still got to keep the law. They still got to be circumcised even though they're Christians, even though they believe in Jesus, they still got to keep Mosaic law. Paul and Barnabas, of course, dissent. No, this is not the case. And they go up to Jerusalem and meet with the other apostles and the other brethren, bringing great news, great joy, right? Great joy to these people that know that Gentiles are being saved as well. But even then, they still heard from those Pharisees who had believed that they got to be circumcised. Those Gentiles have to be circumcised, just like the Jews. So this is a problem that was plaguing Paul and Barnabas in their missionary journey uh, all throughout Asia and, and uh, Europe. And this is something they had to deal with constantly. Christians were being told they needed to keep the law of Moses. They still had to do that. And men were be being told they need to be circumcised as commanded by law. And this is a problem that plagued probably all the churches that he had established, right? All of them, and especially in Europe and Asia Minor. So. Paul, in the letter to the Galatian churches, presents a power, some powerful arguments against this to make that defense of the gospel, right? To talk about our liberty, our freedom in Christ outside of the law. He made a personal argument there in chapter 3 in the first few verses where he says, Did you not hear from me? Did you not experience this yourselves? Why do you need the law? I brought the gospel to you. You experienced it to me. And then... Uh, later in chapter 3, the scriptural argument. He talks about what the test, Old Testament was about, that we had the law as a tutor. But it was not the end all. It was pointing to Jesus Christ. And now that we are in Jesus Christ, we have liberty in Christ because of our love for him. Sure, we know right from wrong from the law. We can know, that's our tutor, that we know how to live. We know how to obey and follow and be a disciple. But it's not about keeping the law. We can't do it. We can't keep it in the flesh. It's about our faith in Jesus Christ. And then he makes that 
practical argument, how we become heirs. We become sons of God, just like a prince to a king, right? We have that inheritance coming, that promise of eternal life. And through that, we, we work, we serve out of our love for God, out of what he has done for us, not to keep the law, not that we got to be circumcised under the old law, not just the signs, it's from the heart. It's that willingness to do things through love. Then he makes a sentimental argument there in chapter 4, appealing to their relationship with him, himself, remember? He said, did I not come to you? Did you not take care of me in my ailments? We had this shared gospel, this shared, this common brotherhood, right? That we experience today. Not with Paul, but with each other, right? We have that in common with each other. That's one of the reasons we come together here on a Sunday morning, right? We share the same mind, the same heart, through our love for the Lord, for what he's done for us. And through that, we, are, we, we participate in that practical argument. We are all heirs of the promise, sons of God. And that's pretty awesome to think about, right? We're all part of the family. We're in the family of God serving in that kingdom. And then later in chapter 4, he made that allegorical argument, allegorical argument. Remember where he used Hagar and Sarah? Talked about Hagar referring to those who were still under the law, who were still from Mount Sinai, who didn't get the promise. And then Sarah, who received the blessing, who was spiritual, who was from that Jerusalem, from heaven. Remember? He makes that argument. He says, in Christ Jesus... We are from the side where Sarah was on. We have the promise. We are part of that Jerusalem from heaven, not on earth, not from Mount Sinai, not from the tablets, not from the Old Testament, not from the Ten Commandments, not from the law. And so he makes that argument with them. So then, today on our text, he's going to use that apostolic authority that he says came from God, didn't come from man, and he's going to testify to what he calls the consequences of trusting in the law. The consequences that he, he is going to state are very grave. And they should be considered very seriously by every Christian. Turn back over to Galatians. Keep a marker there in Acts. We're going to be coming back to that a couple of times. But go back to Galatians 5. <clears throat> Let's read our text for today. Beginning in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 2. And notice how Paul speaks when he writes, Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Notice the next phrase. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, pay attention, you have fallen from grace. Those are some pretty powerful verses, aren't they? He's stating it pretty plain right there. Pretty hard not to grasp what he's saying. First and foremost, you will not profit from Christ if you become circumcised. All right, what's he mean by that exactly? 
What is he getting at? What's the point he's trying to make? We have to understand that in its context, right? And you should do that whenever you study the Bible. You need to understand the context. Is he saying you should not be circumcised? Period. Well, let's turn back over to Acts 16 and read something there that pertains to this. Acts chapter 16 and beginning of verse 1. He says, or Luke says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. <clears throat> so he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. All right. So here we have an account where Paul's having Timothy circumcised. So on the surface, you might say, well, Paul's making this big point about you, you don't need to be circumcised, but then he goes and does it to Timothy. What's up with that? Well, remember, on a personal level, there's nothing wrong with being circumcised, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a pretty common practice today, right? Especially in America. So what's the big deal? The point being, he wasn't being told he had to do that to keep the law of Moses. He wasn't being told he had to do that to keep the law like the Jews have been doing all this time. That's the difference, see? There's nothing wrong on a personal level. You can't take that out of context and say, well, Paul's contradicting himself. No, it's not the case. Paul did not condemn circumcision in every case. He only opposed it when done with the idea that it was necessary for justification. <clears throat> Paul's dealing with those teaching that circumcision was necessary for salvation. He says, Christ will profit you nothing. What a, what a terrible thought, right? What a terrifying thing to say. Christ is going to profit you nothing. What's the point in being in Christ if you're going to be circumcised? If you're going to have to keep the law? What are they going to miss out on? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's just read a few things they're going to miss out on. Kind of explain what he means by that. Ephesians 1. Chapter uh, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, on earth in him. In other words, we lose that forgiveness of sin. We lose that gospel message, that mystery that was there from the beginning of time that had been revealed through Christ Jesus. You're going to miss out on that. You're going to miss out on that ability to profit in your soul, in your spirit. Verse 13 there says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You're going to miss out on that gift of the Spirit. That gift of the Spirit that gives you that guarantee, that assurance of that salvation. Verse 19. <clears throat> he says, And what is the exceeding greatness 
of his power toward us who believe according to the work working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places we're going to miss out on the greatness of God's power right toward those who believe remember we've talked about the great riches Paul Paul says you have great riches in Christ Jesus in him you are blessed tremendously you have that great joy that you can have that knowing that he has provided you a way of salvation a way to be delivered from your sin to the bondage of our slavery of sin to be with him forever and then Ephesians 2 turn over there real quick and let's look and see what he says in verse 19 now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit we lose out on being part of the holy temple of God part of being a fellow citizen of the kingdom members of God's family I just mentioned that right the world doesn't know about that right the world misses out on that great family of God here on earth we know about it right physically we see it maybe we're not participating in it like we should maybe we're not serving in the family like we should but there are many that are. And I guarantee you, anybody in here that goes out and does something for their brethren here will tell you it's the greatest thing they can do. Right? Remember how Jesus served? How he led? How he was showing his leadership by washing the disciples' feet? Yeah. Service. That's where we truly grow that's where we show our love that's where we show our love for God through our obedience to his commandment that's what we're talking about that freedom we have in Christ Jesus not about keeping the law yeah we're gonna sin we're gonna break the law but we don't have to worry about it anymore he's provided his blood for our sin and now we serve him out of that out of our love for him and his love for us well, not only will Christ not profit someone who was circumcised, you will also be indebted to the whole law. And that's a very good point, right? Every man who becomes circumcised, he's saying they've become a debtor to the whole law. Now again, keep that in context. That doesn't mean it's wrong to be circumcised. But if you're doing that for your salvation to keep the law now if you're going to do that you got to keep it all or you're not going to be saved right think about it if you're going to tell somebody they got to be circumcised to be saved then they got to keep the whole law can't be done pause becomes very emphatic about this and that's what i was wanting to point out he makes it clear he's writing with great I don't know if authority is the best word. He's very solemn about it, right? 
It's like he's writing with an oath. Let's turn back there and see what he, how he words that again in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 2. <clears throat> he says, Indeed I, Paul. Now why does he need to say that? This is a long letter, right? But you remember at the beginning, he's telling them I'm an apostle. Apostle appointed by God. And now he's saying, indeed I, Paul, like he's making an oath, right? You go to court. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth? Something is, I do, or I stand nut. Do solemnly swear to tell the truth. That's what he's doing. He's making an oath there. Right? Say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again. It's like he's in a court of law. To every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. It's interesting how he's using that kind of phrasing, that kind of language when he's talking about the law, right? I testify before the law. I make an oath. I, Paul, am telling you something that is the truth. And I bear witness to it. He is a debtor to keep the whole law who becomes circumcised. He binds himself to obey all the law of Moses. In other words, circumcision was a distinguishing badge of a Jew, right? Jews, I think it's eighth day, correct me if I'm wrong, a Jewish boy was circumcised because that's when the, point, the point when blood would start to coagulate. So it was safe to do it. A proselytized Jewish man had to be circumcised, right? That's the sign of the Jews. But also, as Christians, we have a, an outward sign that's done to us in baptism. This is now something that we do, not ourselves, God does to us, baptizes us in Christ Jesus, and as Romans 6 says, we raise, we're raised in newness of life. We are baptized with him into Christ, raised in newness of life. <clears throat> If you were circumcised as a Jew, you became a professor or a preacher of the Jewish religion, you might say. And you bound yourself to all of the law. You had to profess all the law, right? You had to try to keep it. Which placed people under a yoke, a terrible yoke, a yoke that could not be kept. The law put those who did not obey it under a curse. James 2, 10, 11 said, those who stumbled at one point were guilty of the whole law. Go back to Acts 15. Let's read what he says there in verse 10. Fifteen, verse 10, he says, Now therefore, why do you test God? Notice that phrase. Why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we we're able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. He's saying, don't make us go back and have that burden, that yoke that bound us in slavery to sin. We can't keep the law. It's not possible. And if you're going to say they've got to be circumcised, then you've got to say they've got to keep it all. Remember, Hebrews talks about this a lot. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. 
Let's see what Hebrew writer said about it. Hebrews 10, verse 1. It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, interesting phrase, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. Let that verse sink in for a minute. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Hebrew writer's telling you, if that took care of things, they would never have to worry about the sins anymore, right? But they couldn't. And every year they had to have sacrifices to keep forgiveness of sins going. It was just a shadow of what was to come. It was not the thing. That's what he's saying. Don't put us under that yoke again where we got to continually be reminded of our sins through these sacrifices. Continually be asking forgiveness all the time, but worrying about whether we've transgressed the law or not. Apostle continued to describe the consequences of trusting in the law for their salvation. This is a pretty powerful phrase. He says, You will be estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. In other words, he's saying those seeking salvation on the basis of keeping the law of Moses are not going to be with Christ. They're estranged, they have no relationship. The relationship is lost. Yet this was an effort on the part of many who lived in Israel. Not just those who were Jewish Christians, but also Israelites who did not believe in Christ. That's what they were trying to do every day. Keep the law. Couldn't do it. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. Read a verse from there. Romans 9, beginning verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. What is Paul saying to those Roman Christians there? Those who kept the law weren't doing it by faith. They're doing it by trying to have salvation through the works of the law. And it can't be done. cannot be done. We're not saved by works. We're saved by our faith in Christ Jesus. So, what's he mean by that? You've been estranged from Christ. Well... Again, if you're saying they got to be circumcised because of the law, Paul's saying no. It's through your faith, through your love for him, for what he did for you. Interesting, you have different 
uh, phrases used for this in different translations. In the ESV, it says that you're severed from Christ. The NIV says you've been alienated from Christ. In NRSV, you've been cut, off, cut yourselves off from Christ. King James, of course, says he's, uh, Christ has become of no effect. In other words, what's the point? If you're going to keep the law, what's the point in Jesus coming? I mean, if you're going to say you have to keep the law perfectly, what's the point in Jesus coming? Jesus made similar statements. Turn over to John chapter 15. Let's read what Jesus had to say, beginning in verse 1, John 15. <clears throat> he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken in you, spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. What's the Lord saying there? you're in me, you will bear fruit. You'll work, you'll serve, you'll bring others to Christ, you'll take care of each other, you'll love each other, not because you're keeping the law, because you're abiding in him. You're part of his, you're part of the tree. You're a branch, and that branch is going to produce fruit. See, there's a difference there. It's not about just trying to keep the law. You can't keep it. You have to be in Christ. There's some other verses that mentions Revelations 2, the church in Ephesus. He says they had lost their first love. Remember? I'm going to go read that. Chapter, verse, uh, chapter 3 of Revelation, he talked about how the Laodiceans had become lukewarm and he wanted to spew them out of his mouth. Right? Because they'd lost that love. They were going through the motions, they weren't abiding in Christ bearing fruit well that's some pretty grave consequences when you think about it right because being estranged from Christ means being estranged from God right and what is the most wonderful thing that's going to be about getting to heaven I mean there's going to be some great joy but it's going to be because we are with God we have the creator of the universe in a relationship. And we can talk to him like he's our dad. Well, he is our dad, not like your dad. He is our dad. We can talk right with him, have a relationship with him. And he's saying, if you're trying to keep the law, you don't have that. It's over. You're estranged. No relationship. And not only that, this last little phrase, which is really powerful. He says, you who attempt to be justified by the law have fallen from grace. Pretty powerful statement, isn't it? For by the law, no one can actually be justified. Turn back to Romans chapter 3. 
Verse 19, Romans 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's a pretty powerful statement. If you're trying to keep the law, you're not going to be justified. And you're going to know you're in your sin and you're going to die in your sin. You're going to be falling from grace. Now, I know you've heard that phrase before, right? It might mean a few different things to different people. You know, you might try to rearrange it a little bit and say, well, that doesn't mean you're not saved. You know, you just, you just kind of, I don't know. You're still saved, but you're not kind of in a relationship or something like that. In fact, there's a lot of folks out there in Christendom who say that, right? This is one of the clearest statements that you can have of the possibility of apostasy. Think about it. Paul's warning Christians. Can you fall from something that you haven't attained? You ever thought about that? If I'm standing on the roof of my house with my Batman t-shirt on, I can fall, right? I think I probably tried to do that when I was about four years old. I'm not off the roof of the house probably. I was too scared to do that. But if you haven't attained it, you can't fall from it, right? If you haven't climbed up there, you're not going to fall from it. Makes sense, right? There is a state of grace then, apparently, from this statement, where you can be in danger of falling out of it or falling from it. If there is no danger of apostasy, does that statement make any sense? Yeah. No. Of course not. It's plain, right? If you've fallen from grace, then you must have had it. John 15, we just read that, right? He warned his disciples of being cut off. Turn over to Romans chapter 11 there. See what Paul says here about that. Verse 19, Romans eleven nineteen. 19. He says, You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Go back over there to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 Hebrews 2 verse 1 Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. Epistle of Hebrews is full of warning. That's not the only one in there. That's just a sample. Peter does too. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. 
Verse 1. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has, been, has not been idle, and their destruction does not somber. I don't know, I'm sure some of you have some friends who call themselves a Calvinist, you know, or, or I don't know, another denomination, right? Many other denominations, you know, believe the tenets of the Tula, right? The last one being the P for perseverance of the saints, or we know as one saved, always saved, right? Once you become a Christian, you can't lose your salvation. That verse right there is the best verse in the world to refute that, right? You can't really get any plainer than that. You have fallen from grace. If you're trying to keep the old law, you've fallen from grace. I've had discussions with them before. Well, what about somebody, you know, who was a Christian for years and then he went out and lived a life of a heathen? Then he dies. Is he going to heaven? I mean, what about that, you know? Seems like you could say that guy fell from grace, didn't he? Well, uh, he never really was a Christian to begin with. That's how they have to answer that, because they don't have another answer for it, right? That don't jive with Galatians 5, verse 4. Does not jive. Isaiah 118, come let us reason together. You can reason that out, right? Pretty simple. I don't want to harp on that forever, but that is a great way to defend your faith. Right there. Keep that verse in mind. How terrible are the consequences of trusting the law of Moses for salvation. Christ will be no prophet. It means you're going to be indebted to the law, the whole law that cannot save. You're going to be severed from Christ, and you're going to be fallen from grace. Now, I know we're talking about the first century here, right? I don't imagine you got anybody coming up to you telling you you got to keep the law of Moses or that you got to be circumcised, right? But... There are great lessons we can have from this, right? Learn from it. Of course, first and foremost, we can't trust in ourselves, right? We've got to trust in the Lord. We are in Christ. We should enjoy the blessings that He gives us by putting our full trust in Him. Nor any other law or religion of man that's contrary to the love of Christ. We've got to be careful about that, right? can't put your trust in men. Men will tell you anything. <laughs> Just turn your TV on and listen to the politicians talk. Every one of them will tell you anything. Usually it's what they think you want to hear. That's not the truth, right? Sorry, I'm being cynical. I know. Otherwise, the consequences are going to be the same, right? If you do that, you're going to be estranged from Christ. You're going to be fallen from grace. So let me urge you to continue in the faith, to enjoy the liberty you have in Christ Jesus, to lay out your love for him in everything that you do every day. 
do everything to the Lord because of your love for him. That means being a good brother or sister. That means being ready to defend your faith to those who need to hear it. That means being that servant, being in the word, wanting to know what God has to say, and being in prayer. And then you can have that joy that passes all understanding. There's great blessings of salvation in Christ Jesus. Not in the keeping of the law, but in that relationship you have with him. Our union with Christ, we abide in the vine, right? We have great blessings from that. We get great strength through that love. So let me just say, stand fast, as he says in verse 1 there. Stand fast in that great liberty we have in Christ Jesus. And remember, those who endure to the end will get that crown of life, Revelation 2. All right, time's up. Thanks for being here.